You're listening to a sermon from St. John's Anglican in Cranbourne. To find out more about us, head to cranbourneanglican.org.au. Well, good morning. My name's Sam. I'm the senior minister here at St. John's. Uh, What's happened here this morning is that uh, Jimmy was going to be coming and preaching to you on John chapter 1, 1 to 18, but unfortunately Jimmy is sick. And so what we're doing this morning is I've I've grabbed a sermon uh, from many years ago and I've blown the dust off it and uh, we're going to have it. I'm going to be a little bit more tied to my notes than usual. Um, but that's okay, isn't it? Because God knew that Jimmy was going to be sick. And maybe there are some particular words for us here this morning. So let me pray for us and ask that God, with his powerful word, might speak to us. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your powerful word and we thank you for this astonishing picture of who you are and who our Lord Jesus Christ is that we find at the beginning of John. Heavenly Father, would you, with your word, uh, show us something of yourself. Help us to come to know you better, to love you more, to be more in awe of all that you are and all that you've come to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the beginning of John, I mean, it really is one of those passages that is just one of the most astonishing pieces of writing I think you'll find really anywhere in the world. It ranks up there with the very best of literature. In fact, you know, as a Christian and believing it's God-breathed, it's, it's, it's not even in the same category as all other literature, of course. Uh, but it draws the veil from who Jesus is, proclaiming his, his pre-existent deity and his enfleshed humanity, his nature as the word and the light and the life of the world. And it's like an overture of a symphony. The first 18 verses of John, they sound out, many of the themes are, are going to be picked up and sounded out again and again in the rest of the gospel. Uh, I know people who have spent whole sermon series just on the first 18 verses of this gospel. In fact, I think you could probably look at these first 18 verses and for the entire year and not come to the end of it. Uh, one of the very famous Australian biblical scholar, Leon Morris, once said that the gospel of John is like a swimming pool. It's shallow enough that children can wade in it but deep enough that an elephant could swim in it. Its language, it's so simple. And yet, the concept it carries are vast. And you see that no better than in these first 18 verses. But they're not just beautiful words. They're not just deep words. They're words with a purpose. And so if you were here last week, you might remember... Uh, that John wrote these words with a purpose. From John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And so he wrote these words, the, the beginning of John, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, that human long-promised who would be God's anointed king and the son of God, the pre-existent word. 
And he wrote so that you, in believing, would have life. So as we tuck into the Gospel of John, expect to find ample food for belief in Jesus and expect to receive life. And that, by the way, also makes it a really good time to be inviting people along to church who don't know Jesus uh, to come and listen to the gospel of Jesus and hear for the first time and believe. And so if you've got friends who uh, you'd be surprised how many people are actually open to coming to church if you invite them. Research has been done uh, and it's something like six out of ten would say yes if you invited them to church. Give it a go and then tell me the the stats uh, for next week. But this morning, uh, we start at the beginning. Surely one of the greatest openings ever written to any, any book. In the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. These are extraordinary words, aren't they? The Gospel of Mark starts with Jesus' public ministry, opening with the words, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's almost as though John's gone and read the beginning of the Gospel of Mark and go, well, that is the beginning, kind of. I mean, it's the beginning of his public ministry. But I think we can do better. I think we can go further back. And so he goes right back to the, Bible, to the beginning of the Bible and he opens up Genesis chapter 1, And reads, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he thinks, well, that's better. But uh, actually, if you really want to go to the beginning of the story of Jesus, that's not really enough. No, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Before time, before creation, before all things was the word who is God. As Jesus says in John chapter 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. He could have said before Adam was, I am. Indeed, about all creation, and it's the clearest declaration really of Jesus' divinity, and that the story of God's work in giving us life has its origins in an unimaginable past. And he describes Jesus as the word. What do words do? They're powerful, aren't they? God created with a word. Revolutions have begun with a word. Reputations are destroyed by them. Hope is stirred with them. Wars are always fought with weapons, but they're always started and ended with, war, with words. Words can fire your passion and stir your soul. But what they do most is they communicate. They make known. Uh, Back when I was a lawyer, I used to catch a a bus to work and it was always interesting. You'd see these people every single week, every single day, the same people on the same bus and we'd sit on the same seats. And as you watched them, uh, you could kind of make some guesses about what they did. So if I saw a man in a suit uh, sitting there and reading a book entitled The Lyric Beauty of Double Entry Bookkeeping, (laughs) I've got a good guess that he's an accountant. 
So, uh, but the thing is, I've never spoken to him. I don't actually know. Like he could be a librarian dreaming of the excitements of becoming an accountant. I don't know because we haven't spoken. We don't really know people until we hear their words. That's the power of words. The word who is with God and is God makes God known. He communicates God and who he is. John 1.18, no one has seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. See, this is the wonderful thing about Jesus is the word he makes God. You can know God. You can know him. Personally, through his word, as you read the words in the Bible, you're engaging personally and intimately with God. And as you do, you're, you're touching something much grander, much deeper, much older than you can imagine. So much of life at the moment in our society focuses our eyes on the here and nows and tells us that that's all that matters. It reduces life and meaning to today's news cycle or this shopping experience or that holiday or, and locks our gazes on the pretty lights of this screen or that. But John's gospel lifts your eyes and is not afraid to sound a grand theme and say that your meaning, your life, has its origins in eternity past. It leads to eternity to come and it matters on a cosmic scale. Well, there's a beginning before time, yes, but John also points to another beginning, that event in time and history when the word entered the world, a country town, a town, a stable, and in the words of Francis Webb, to blown straw was given all the fullness of heaven. God became human. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John talks about Jesus' coming as a light in the darkness, the dawn that brings hope and life and safety after the darkness of of night. It's a new dawning. It's a new dawning for humanity. As it says in Lamentations chapter 3, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O God. And it's true because there was a great morning, as it were, that governs every morning when the steadfast love of God came in his saving action. His mercy was given body and form. His faithfulness manifested itself in his coming. The word became flesh. And so John moves from the eternal and he moves from the cosmic to the tangible and known. We have seen his glory. Well, John saw it on that mountaintop, didn't he? When Jesus was transfigured, he was standing there with Peter and James, but he saw it every day as Jesus healed and taught and loved and laughed. He saw the glory of God made flesh. You can imagine someone born in a cave, living their entire life in the underground world and hearing these distant rumours of this thing called the sun 
or the world above. And wondering if it was just a myth or perhaps if real too dangerous to really come too near to because surely this ball of fire hanging from nothing in the sky is not safe to be around. And yet they also hear the stories of its beauty and its warmth and the way that its light bestows its gifts of colour on the things it meets, its health and goodness and longing to see it and to be in the glow of that light and then one day that person finds an opening to the world above and suddenly sees its glory. That's, that's what John's suddenly seen. Yeah, no wonder John's so excited. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Do you look at the world in the light of the glory of the son? As you look at the people around you, do you get caught up into the salvation work of God, eternal? Do you see sitting beside you are eternal beings who Christ is transforming from one degree of glory to another? Do you see the story of your life as one in which the eternal God has entered tangibly and with power? Because John's very clear from the beginning of his gospel that Jesus is the word and the word became flesh and that is not just a stupendous fact of history but it actually has a great deal to do with you personally. He came so that humanity might come to God. He was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. He came in, came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know, some people read the Gospel of John and they find in it something totally alien to the rest of the Bible. And it sounds kind of different and certainly really different to things like Paul's letters or the letter of Galatians. But here in the Gospel of John, he's talking about exactly the same thing. The grace of God. You, you won't find a better summary of your salvation as a pure gift of God than these words. God has given this gift to humanity infinitely precious, infinitely beautiful, infinitely powerful. And many in Jerusalem and Bethlehem and Nazareth and Bethsaida looked the gift of God in the face and rejected it. Said, no, I'm not going to receive it. And many in Cranbourne and Clyde and Dandenong and Frankston have done the same. But even more than that, much more than those people, there are so many who have never heard that there's a word from God waiting for them. They've never heard what God has done in Christ. They aren't even aware that they're so loved by God that he came to give them this, even himself. And so the gift is there, the word from God is there, available to them, but the message that they've got a parcel to collect hasn't ever reached them. We've got to tell people in Cranbourne and Clyde and Frankston and all, everywhere here, that God has come in this powerful word and has given them life if they would but come to him and believe.
Because to all who receive him, who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God, to become part of the family and so take on the family likeness, to be whole, perfect, good and eternal, to have life. You could talk about these words. One of the problems about preaching a passage like this is the words are so deep and so big and so there's so much you could say about them and you could never do them justice. And so all a preacher can do really is bring them out before you and say, listen and hear and pray that God puts it deep in your heart. Have you received him? Are you his child? The Father loves you. The Father loves you. He knows the darkness in you. He knows your failings. He knows your pains. He knows your despair. He knows you better than you do. He loves you. And the word became flesh to take on himself your darkness on the cross in Jesus' death and resurrection so that you might have the one in whom is life. And that life might be yours I'm just going to pray that God brings that word to you now let's pray Heavenly Father we praise you uh, that you have come to us in the powerful word who is our Lord Jesus Christ And so we have confidence that these words on the page are not just words. And these words that speak your name come with your power. And we thank you. And we ask that you in your grace and your mercy enable us and open our hearts to receive you. And we thank you for the wonder that it is that we can be children of you our Heavenly Father. Uh, Father, as we come to continue to look at the words of the Gospel of John, Lord, would you continue to speak to us with your word and help us to come to know you. And we pray this in Jesus' name.